Welcome to Inspire Her Health, your podcast for all things her. We are a one-stop shop dedicated to inspiring you to live your best by providing the latest tips, tricks, and stories from leading experts in the industry. Our mission is to bring women just like you together in an inspiring community to enhance your mind, body, and life in the healthiest way possible. Welcome, sister. You're in the right place. This is where you belong. So let's begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspire Her Health podcast. I'm Christine Nicole, your host, CEO, and founder of Inspire Her Health. On today's episode, we have Kathy Watson. Now, Kathy Watson is a physiotherapist and a pelvic floor specialist. I wanted to pick her brain today all around pelvic floor health and how to strengthen our pelvic floor and our cores, even if we haven't had kids and we feel like that is an area that needs help. She goes into detail of how the pelvic floor is so important for our overall health and especially our core strength. So if you're one of those women that have had kids before and is experiencing leaking when you laugh, cough, or sneeze, which has all happened to us, I am definitely one of those people that that happened to after I had my son, or you feel like you've got some back pain, you know, balance and posture problems, maybe diasta recti, that's the huge gap between your abdominal muscles and that bulging mom tummy that everybody talks about. That is something that we dive deep in today in this podcast with Kathy. She gives us some amazing things that we can do at home, exercises that we can do to help strengthen our pelvic floor. And she also gives us some resources that we can look into to help get our journey started with strengthening our pelvic floor, our core muscles, and, you know, rehabilitating that area of our bodies. So without further ado, here is Kathy to talk to us all about pelvic floor and pelvic floor health. This episode of Inspire Her Health podcast is brought to you by our eight-week Healthy Gut, Healthy You program. Are you one of those people that is struggling with debilitating symptoms that have no cause or cure? Do you struggle with poor digestion, bloating and gas, hormonal dysfunction? Are you retaining water? Do you struggle to lose weight? Do you not know which foods to eat and which foods to avoid? Is your skin breaking out? Is your moods all over the place? Do you feel sluggish on a regular basis? Do you have diarrhea? These are some of the symptoms and majority of the symptoms that are chalked up to poor gut health. Now, before you feel in despair, I need to let you know that you are in luck. It is time for you to finally start experiencing your best. In our eight-week gut program, you will learn how to optimize your gut health so that you can start to look and feel your best. You will also put your body into a state where it can prioritize fat loss for good. Some of the results that you can expect by going through our eight-week system is getting rid of bloating, decreasing gas, increase your energy, be in control of your mood, finally lose those stubborn pounds, improve your health, and increase your vitality. These are only some of the amazing results 
that the women that have gone through our healthy gut, healthy you program have experienced. If you're interested in joining us in this transformational program, please click the link below on the show notes of this podcast to get our special promotion for our Inspire Her Health listeners. Go to the link in the show notes below to sign up for your transformational healthy gut, healthy you program now. So welcome, Kathy, to the show. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your energy, work, and time with us. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. This is going to be awesome. Really looking forward to this. Me too. I'm really looking forward to our chat. For you listeners out there, we have our in for a real treat. We're going to be talking all about pelvic floor and how to strengthen our pelvic floors as women. And it's something that's, you know, we're not, we don't talk about very often, but it's something so important to do, um, especially after having kids and, you know, as we age as well. So that's what the topic is today about the podcast. But first of all, Kathy, can you just go ahead and just connect with our listeners a little bit, tell them a little bit about you, your background story, and what got you into physiotherapy and uh, becoming a pelvic floor specialist? Sure. So, I mean, I was always interested in things in the medical field and the body. So, I mean, I had other jobs for a long time. I went back to school quite late. And then um, before I got into physio, I was always in the exercise world. So I taught group fitness and um, personal training. And then I got into Pilates. Um, at that time, I had already ventured into physio, and I knew that I wanted to definitely uh, put those two together, you know, have movement, really good, efficient movement as part of therapy for my clients. So, and thinking that Pilates is so much about the core, and everything kind of starts from there, um, if sometimes over time, my clients might start talking about having problems with leaking, or it could be pelvic pain, could be all sorts of things like heaviness in their pelvic floor. So I would do everything externally I could possibly think of. And there wasn't really the change that I was hoping for and that they were hoping for. So I would refer them to a pelvic floor physiotherapist. And it was kind of around that time I thought, you know, if I'm going to really, you know, I'm, I'm in this and I'm really working with the core a lot, I want to add the pelvic floor in considering it's one part of our deep core. So that kind of made me venture off into pelvic floor courses. So the first course I ever took, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this at all. This is weird. You know, I never really, I never saw myself as going into pelvic floor physiotherapy. But from the very first day on that course, the very first course, it was just great. You know, it's so interesting. There's this huge world out there of people having problems with their pelvic floors. I had no idea how big it was. Um, the teachers are always so passionate. The people in the class are really great to work with. And that was it. I just kept going from there. And I think what kept me also really interested in it was that the misinformation that's out there and the lack of information. And still to this day, even um, new moms say, even in their 20s, so we're not talking about people say another generation or two past that. It can be the younger people too, still believe that, okay, I've had kids, so I'm gonna leak for the rest of my life, you know? And that's just, you know, I, I really like um, knowledge. Knowledge is power. And once we have that, we can make changes and learn and make changes in our own bodies. So that just kind of kept me going more towards, you know, staying in pelvic floor and just, just going with it, you know, and trying to change the message out there a lot, like through articles and talks and 
just trying to get better information out there so women know they can make a change. And sometimes the change is really simple. Yeah. And it's, I think people think it's such a complicated thing. They look at it as being, you know, when you you hear that when you're, when you're pregnant, I know that my midwife was always talking about Kegels, your pelvic floor exercises. And I didn't really realize the importance of it until after I had my child because I did get the leaking as well. And I was, you know, I got to a point where I was like, this can't be, I can't be dealing with this for the rest of my life. You know, you have a good laugh or you kind of jolt the wrong way and a little bit comes out and you're like, this is, you know, I'm in my thirties and I'm essentially peeing myself. And yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that I think a lot of us as women just think that that's just normal and we got to live with on a day-to-day basis and we don't really know where to look for help or guidance and you know and even thinking that there is specialists out there that actually dedicate you know their job and their career to helping women strengthen that area I think it's a lot of people just don't know that exists for sure yeah that's still a big part of the problem it's just getting the message out there all the time. Um, I mean, thankfully, Google's around, and sometimes it's not a good thing, but uh, a lot of people find me just by Googling, you know, in addition to the word of mouth or the referrals, but really, there should be more, you know, more and more and more, like more knowledge out there and more people on board with it and just knowing that, yeah, this is actually something that you can get help with and super easy sometimes. It doesn't take a lot, And sometimes if it's just a weakness, I mean, there can be other issues for sure, but if it's just a weakness issue, um, sometimes it can be, you know, once somebody starts on their exercises, say, if it's just an exercise um, program, they can see a change very, very soon. And then they continue to work on that, but the changes can happen fairly quickly. You know, I I just thought of a question. You see people for your, for pelvic floor, Um, What are some of the main reasons that women actually get motivated to come and see you? We obviously talked about the leaking part of it, but what other, what other things and symptoms could they be going through or, you know, any of our listeners could be going through right now that they don't even know are related to their pelvic floor. Right. Um, Things like, so pelvic pain is a big one. Uh, There's all sorts of different reasons for it. Lots of different pathologies that may be associated with it, but sometimes, excuse me, sometimes it can just be, really, really tight muscles. And they can be tight for different reasons. Um, But people would, so maybe uh, there might be feelings of tightness, say with penetration. So somebody's having intercourse and it's not comfortable. And that could be just on initial entry. That could be on deeper thrusting. The muscles can be tighter right around the entry point all throughout or in the back area of the pelvic floor. Um, So that's a biggie. There can be, and so there can be other symptoms. If things are super, super tight, say, there can be other symptoms like um, when someone's trying to pee, maybe the stream isn't, it's taking a while to get going. You know, you're waiting, 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 you're ready, but there's nothing happening. Or once the stream, once somebody is peeing, maybe it's just not quite as strong or it kind of stops and starts. Sometimes there's a bit of dribbling afterwards called the post-void dribble that you think you're done, you stand up and so their, their tightness can be a part of that as well, in addition to weakness. So pelvic pain's uh, a biggie. Or if somebody has problems, you know, every time they put a tampon in, it's just, it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of saying that there's something going on in there. Maybe tightness is a factor. Um, prolapse can be another one. So um, either the uterus or bladder or sometimes the rectum is not exactly in place. Like once it 
where it once was. It's kind of fallen down a little bit. It's sitting a bit lower inside the pelvis. <clears throat> and so women might feel, again, either if they try to insert something vaginally, something will feel like it's in the way, whether it's through intercourse or trying to put a tampon in. Maybe the tampon just won't stay in because it's being pushed out. Um, so, and again, that can be uncomfortable or feelings of heaviness, that sort of thing. Um, there can be things like with a bladder frequency and urgency. So just peeing a lot. So if um, this might, and this, I'm sure for listeners, there's going to be, you know, they're going to be thinking, oh yeah, that's me. Like if you're somebody who knows where every bathroom is in the city, you know, you're always thinking about that when you head out the door, you're planning, then that might be a little bit of a cause for concern because the bladder is never then fully empty. It's like, it's not fully, it's not filling completely. We want it to fill completely and then empty completely. And so when you think about, say, norms, because, of course, they measure everything in the world, right? Um, the normal amount of times to pee a day on average is, say, somewhere between five and eight times. And that's based on taking in two liters of water a day. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you are peeing, the amount of time it takes to pee, once your stream's going, is somewhere between, say, eight and 12 seconds. And so if somebody's doing a lot of those pees where, um, you know, you're going to go watch a movie and so you just want to do one last pee before you sit down because you don't have to get out of that movie seat, that's, that's okay if it happens once in a while. But a lot of those are called the just-in-case pees. And so you go pee and it's maybe three seconds. You're never allowing that bladder to fill. So then it starts to get trained to never filling and then it'll just keep telling you more and more often, hey, you got to empty me, you got to empty me when you really don't need to. So urgency, frequency, prolapse, pelvic pain, and weakness are kind of the biggies. And then there's other things around that. Like uh, I'll see women with diastasis. So after having a baby, maybe that's splitting down the middle, um, might be getting in the way still, whether it's the size of the gap that's bothering them or they're just not able to generate tension um, from their transverse abs. So kind of looking at all the core because the pelvic floor doesn't work alone. So those are probably, yeah, some of the biggies. You know, you just said something that I struggled with, and that was the diastas. It's diasta recti, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like mine is closed now, yeah. and, and I don't have, like, I think I could put three, almost three and a half fingers between it. Um, but I still can't seem to get the lower part of my abs the way they were before. Now, would pelvic floor exercising and strengthening in pelvic floor, would that help with that, that lower abdominal muscles? It can do because when we think about, um, when I'm looking at the deep core and the purpose of the deep core is really to help, it's, it's not everything, but it's, a, it's super important that these four muscle groups work together and they're supposed to support and stabilize us so that when we go to do something, our bigger muscles can do those movements and the smaller, deeper ones closer to our bones, like our spine, our pelvis can support us. So we're looking at the pelvic floor and then your transverse abs that wrap around kind of the thorax through, through the belly. And those are the ones that people kind of always look at when um, there is a diastasis. And they wrap around the back into some deep um, multipathy or back muscles that kind of line either sides of the spine. And those kind of do that corseting sort of action and then your pelvic floor and your diaphragm. So breathing, super important. The way we breathe, because as we inhale, diaphragm lowers, the pelvic floor kind of lowers a little bit, and that's how it gets a bit of its release on, or it's lengthening. So that's always super important to make sure somebody can not only contract, but also release. 
So we always want to look at the, all those pieces. Um, it's great if you can have somebody look at, because I use uh, real-time ultrasound to look at the transverse abs. Lots of physios have that now. Uh, that can give you a good visual of, are those muscles actually coming on? And we'll look in the lower belly, like below the belly button, um, to see, because it's out of the way of the ribs, to see if those transverse abs are actually doing anything. Because if they're, sometimes people think, yeah, I've, I'm, I've worked out a lot. Um, you know, I feel like my abs are getting tighter, but sometimes it's all obliques or rectus abdominis and the transverse abs are just kind of sitting there percolating away. So I want to make sure they're actually doing something. And because they work with the pelvic floor, if you do a Kegel, like a pelvic floor contraction, the transverse abs will come on a little bit. And so they do work together as well. So yes, to answer that question in a long way, <laughs> I think so, because the pelvic floor does help. Mm -hmm. We just want to look at each piece individually and isolate them and then teach somebody how to use them together. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I was just going to ask you about Kegels as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of the moms that I know, they call that Lord tummy, the mom, mom pooch or the mom pouch, yeah, right? Tummy and, Mommy yeah, tummy. Yeah. yeah. And it's always that lower part of your abdominal muscles that you cannot seem to activate. Yeah. And it's so true. I think that you're right. Like those other muscles on the other, on the upper part are, are kind of overacting for the ones that are not strengthened on the bottom. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We look, we look at it a lot like um, it's interabdominal pressure. And so it's this sort of pressure, how much pressure and the way the pressure is going through the abdominal area. So you'll see some people they'll have, like if somebody's looking at the front of their belly and they'll see a, their ribs are really wide, they always think we'll have a wide rib cage, but it can also be an overactive internal oblique muscle keeping mm -hmm. them out there. Whereas people have the really narrow sort of um, angles in the front of their ribs, they're more externally um, oblique dominant, we want to make sure that's balanced. So we have to change that because the way that person is going to be getting that force and pressure through their belly is going to definitely affect the pelvic floor. So it's all about really pressure, you know, whereas a lot of the pelvic floor problems are about pressure. Yeah. And so I what, just want to say, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to say one thing about the gap because okay. when you talk about the gap, the three and a half minutes, okay. So the gap, just so people understand, the gap is still super important as far as how wide it is. It's an easy way to measure, and especially for people at home, if a mom has a diastasis and she's using her fingers to kind of see as she's going forward, oh, is it getting narrower? And of course, you want that. But in the pelvic floor world, the most important thing is not how wide the gap is. It's a sort of tension that's generated deep in that mm -hmm. gap. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes some women will never close they'll have a wider gap but the tension they're generating is really great and so it's considered a functional diastasis versus somebody who whether their gap closes or not if they're not able to um, say generate that good tension and maybe they still have a bit of a gap then it would be more of a dysfunctional diastasis so it's still a good measuring tool but it's the most important thing is that tension always what's happening beneath that surface there that's interesting. And I had no idea because all I knew was just the gap. Like, you know, yeah. it's all about the, the number of fingers you can fit between the gap. Is there a place where people can go, I guess, you know, a good, a good reputable place that people can go and actually find out how to check themselves to see if they do have any problems with the diasta? Well, there's different, um, there are videos on YouTube um, of different pelvic floor physios that post them. 
So there are things like that. I can always leave some links or something mm -hmm. um, and send them to you. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, so people can know where to go, but it'll just take you through a simple little measuring. But even then, I don't know how often the tension is really talked about it because mm -hmm. it's used more for helping somebody locate or find or their diastasis. So it's really still not going into all the, the talk about the tension. I do have some uh, articles on my blog, on my website and my blog. So I try to always put more and more on there, but there'll be some information about the diastasis there as well. Okay. Yeah. And I'll have your blog link at the end of the show notes for everybody that after you've done listening to the podcast today, you yeah. can go on and, and click the link there and, and have a look at her stuff. Um, yeah, that's so, so fascinating. And I'm so <laughs> glad that you talked about this because I do know so many women who struggle to not be able to get their core strength and their pelvic mm. floor strength back after having kids. And yeah. I think that's one of the missing links as well. So tell, maybe tell our audience just a tiny little bit about what is the importance of pelvic floor? I know it sounds like people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to, I got to strengthen mm. my pelvic floor, but maybe if you tell them the importance of it and why we need to have a strong and healthy pelvic floor, it could motivate people to really go and, and, and get some assistance and help if they need it. Yes, <laughs> it is very important. So, um, the pelvic floor does have several functions and so it helps keep us dry, keeps us from leaking. Um, and that can be rectally as well, because don't forget we have that other passage back there and those muscles are all shared between the rear and the front compartments. So that's super important. Um, it helps with sexual gratification. You know, if those muscles are working really well, it helps in orgasm. Uh, it controls your sphincters and it also helps in limp flow. So we want to make sure things are flowing through that area really well. So when somebody has a leaking issue, you know, pain is always the biggest motivator. Pain will get somebody to ask for help. Leaking is not painful. And because of the bad messaging or mismessaging over the years, it can be just a funny thing to laugh off, right? And so, but leaking really is saying your pelvic floor is not able to generate enough tension around that urethra to keep you from leaking. So once a little problem starts, if nothing changes, you know, we always know that problems can become bigger. And so then if it's the pelvic floor is supposed to give us support and it's supposed to support our uterus and bladder and rectum. And when it's not generating enough tension to keep us from leaking, it's not doing its job. So it's becoming dysfunctional. So sometimes, although prolapse and, and um, incontinence do not go hand in hand, that can be another thing that can happen because of that lack of support. So not to say it's a big scary thing or anything, but it's, in the beginning, especially, like I said before, it can be a really much easier fix with just some exercise and, and um, involving the brain and thinking about what's going on in the pelvic floor. So yes, please, everybody go out there and get some help because it can, you can really make huge changes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And what you were saying, I mean, those are, those are motivating. Like, you know, not only the peeing yourself, like that is just, that's embarrassing, right? Yeah. I was lucky enough that it was just a tiny little dribble, but I do know other people who literally wet their themselves and how yeah. embarrassing is that? But yeah. when you started talking about the rectum and how that can be a little <laughs> loose, that yeah. is something you don't want to be dealing with. 
ever, yeah. right? No. That is a motivating factor for sure. I don't know. I don't know what else would be if that wasn't. Yeah. So if we, if we do, if we're listening here and, and I want to kind of just address one thing here. There's going to be two questions put in one. I know we okay. talk a lot about postpartum and pregnancy, but can pelvic floor problems happen even if we've never had children? Absolutely. Yes. So they can happen with, um, obviously with women, with men as well. They just have pelvic floor issues from different problems. Um, kids, you know, and kids leaking issues are generally um, mostly from like about 90% of them are found to be from constipation. So, and women who haven't had kids oftentimes won't have as a weakness as much of an issue, but they'll have um, more tightness issues. So, um, they can have weakness, but they can also, they'll, they'll might have more tightness issues. Um, being pregnant is the biggest risk factor in having kids and a vaginal birth for sure. But even C-sections, sometimes mm -hmm. some women think, well, I had a C-section. There's nothing coming up my vagina. I'm going to be fine. But actually, no, that's not the case. Because just the sheer weight and enlarged uterus and carrying the baby on top of the pelvic floor is a lot of strain for that. Um, People that have, say they haven't had kids, but they've had constant or chronic constipation, that's pushing and straining all the time. And that's the exact opposite direction. We really want everything to go. I mean, we want all our organs to be held up and in. And when we're looking at training somebody to get a good pelvic floor contraction, that's a direction we're encouraging them to go. So if somebody had a lot of issues um, with constipation and pushing and straining, we've got to get on top of that for sure because otherwise trying to train, up train their pelvic floor muscles in other ways, it's, it, they're not gonna find as much success through that. Yeah. If somebody had like even chronic coughing, um, that's just a lot of pushing, pushing, pushing downwards. That's interesting. So there's yeah. lots, yeah. That's very interesting, you know, and you don't think about it ever affecting men, right? Like you think of yeah. pelvic floor, you think of it being primarily a, a problem with women only. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of men, yeah, because a lot of men don't know where their pelvic floor is. <laughs> no. but, you know, it's kind of in their rectum <laughs> primarily, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't, right? Because it's not something yeah. that they think of and they're not having children. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just not a thing that they talk about at all. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if people are, are listening and they are like, hey, I've got that, I've got that, I've got some pelvic floor weakness, what are some things that they can do to address it? Um, what are maybe some tips that you can give them? Yeah. So there's different ways like if they if they think they're if they think their pelvic floor is weak I mean I still would suggest if they can get in to see somebody and even if they can't um, do it one-on-one -on -one, say they live in a, a more remote area and they can't get in virtually lots of options now virtually <laughs> so um, that's the best way you're not going to look at somebody virtually at their pelvic floor but you can have that connection and really um, make sure weakness is the issue because sometimes people think they're weak and they're actually way too tight. So then we wouldn't want them to do a Kegel, mm -hmm. you know? So if we start thinking about the pelvic floor, similarly to other parts of our body, if our hip flexors are super, super tight, they're going to be weak as well because they're tight, but we don't want to strengthen them right away. We need to get that nice length in the muscle group first before we start strengthening them. So to know if somebody's weak, somebody's not sure sometimes. They can do their own, like on, even on, I've got a blog in there about a home test. It kind of talks about a little bit of the home test. If somebody's comfortable that way, um, that might give them an idea if they actually are weak. 
and how to measure their contraction and their Kegel. Um, if they are, they can always try Kegels. Now, I should say here too, no toilet Kegels, because sometimes people think I'm going to, you know, because I'm going to say you could try stopping the flow of pee and just mark down like the yes, I was able to, I never need to do that again, or no, I couldn't, I'll recheck in four to six weeks. But it's not something that you, you never want to train your pelvic floor or try to do your Kegels while you're peeing, because that's not, um, your pelvic floor needs to be relaxed, so your bladder can do all the squeezing and get the pee out. So that's not the, the best time to train. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, there's other things to think about too, and it's really with the breath. There's lots of breathing work that can be done um, because that's part of releasing through the pelvic floor. But it's really finding out if somebody is weak, if they really know they are and they want to start with their Kegels, then I would suggest they start, you know, 10 reps, two sets, just kind of the basic um, parameters, and maybe don't even do a hold at first. So just engage and then see if you can feel that and let go. I often go through with my clients what I call feedback. And so it's having them in sitting. So if people are at home listening, they could do the same thing. And it's really just thinking about um, what you're sitting on. You want to try to give some feedback up to your perineum. So say the space or the tissue between the vagina and the rectum. So you're sitting on a chair or you could kind of like, straddle that corner of the chair so you can feel a bit more. You could sit on a big round ball, um, on a foam roller, something that's going to be gently pressing up beneath you so you can kind of get a bit more feeling. And then from there, do your Kegel. And if you can feel that lift, inside muscles only, you don't want to see, you don't want to be going up and down in space like you're squeezing your big glute muscles. Um, if you can feel that, you also want to make sure you can feel it when you let it go because both of those pieces are super important. And there's lots of cues for Kegels. Um, I use things like, whether it's elevator, you're on the ground floor, I want you to gently draw up and in, take your elevator up to floor three. Or another point is don't leave the rectal area behind. So think about stopping passing gas, inside muscles only, because that part works as well. And so if you think about, say, both those areas then as an elevator, say a freight elevator with two doors, you could close your rear door, stop passing gas, and then close your front door, and then take that ele elevator up. Something, you wanna visualize something because then it involves the brain. And once the brain's involved, there's always way more success. Or you could think of jellyfish going through the water, scooping up. So lots of different visuals, and sometimes people come up with the craziest visuals all on their own, but whatever works, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just a nice inwards and upwards. And when I'm assessing someone, when they first do their Kegel, sometimes it's, you know, so-so. And then I'll start, I'll ask them, what are you thinking about? And they'll say, well, I'm just thinking about squeezing. So then I'll say, okay, I'm going to give you some different cues and we'll work through them. And you can just feel how much better that contraction is. It's more all-encompassing inside. Yeah. So the quality is super important. Mm -hmm. And the visualization is so important too, because I think, and a lot of people would get bored with just doing that repetitively, but if they have yeah. something in their mind yeah. to kind of visualize and make an analogy for themselves, it would probably be more motivating for them to do those exercises. Yeah. Now, do you, what is your take on Kegel balls for Kegel exercises? What yeah. do you think of those? So I think they're okay. Um, I think they're great for people who like that sort of thing. They want something, you know, they want a thing. Mm -hmm. And so if it's weakness, 
They can insert the little Kegel balls. You always start laying down and just sort of feel that. Um, and it's okay then to do them in standing. So say while you're brushing your teeth and you're gonna keep your Kegel balls in. Um, if somebody has a prolapse, they're probably not gonna work very well because as soon as you're standing, that prolapse is gonna be pushing those little balls out. And then the other, the only other issue I have with them really is that sometimes our pelvic floor isn't really meant to hold to that degree for a long period of time. And so sometimes I'll hear people you know, holding it for, I tried to go for an hour or two and it's like, oh geez, you know? <laughs> so I like, I like training the pelvic floor more in, you know, shorter holds <laughs> and, uh, and releasing versus a massive hold all the time. Cause that can create a lot of tension. <laughs> That's so funny you said that, Kathy, because that is totally <laughs> what I did after I had my son. <laughs> I think I kept it. I remember going for a walk with them in and I think yeah, we were gone for like an hour and a half and I think we hit the hour and a half mark and I remember being like, I am in so much pain. Like, this is, I don't think this is right. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. I, like at that point, I'm like, maybe I'm doing more damage than good because, yeah. yeah, but I was one of those people that was like, I'm going to put it in for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Which sometimes you think, yeah, you can see why somebody might think that, right? But yeah. if you kind of go back to comparing it to another body part, like if you had your bicep and you're contracting your bicep by your elbow all bent up towards you and you did that for an hour and a half, oh, you would be in so much discomfort so once you tried much. to straighten your arm. <laughs> so I think it's better, yeah, just use them like you would be doing your Kegel exercises. And when we think about the normal parameters that are the most common, it's a couple of sets, 10 reps, you're building up to a 10 second hold. So, but maybe every week you only increase it by a second, you know, so you're starting off at no hold, then you're at maybe three seconds, say, and then next week, four second hold, um, building it up. And typically you're going to look at eight to 12 weeks of the work that you're going to do on your own with your pelvic floor for just like any other kind of strengthening program to get things going. <laughs> now, does your... Um... I was just, that was, was the next question I was going to ask. How long does that usually take? If you're doing it yourself, do you like by yourself, um, yeah. you say eight to 12 <laughs> weeks, but if you, if you were to see a specialist or work with a specialist like yourself, how long does it usually take for people to start to um, improve their pelvic floor health? Well, it can still, we're still looking at the same time frame. Like eight to 12 weeks is a real generalization, but it gives somebody enough time to build their endurance up and their strength. Um, so just thinking about um, strengthening any other muscle, any other skeletal type muscle in the body, it's kind of the same. So I think it's not going to be faster. Um, if you see somebody, you'll know for sure, though, if you're doing a good Kegel or if you're not doing something, you know, and then sometimes people get frustrated. They've been working on them for a while. They're not getting anywhere. And then they come in and you check them out and it's like, okay, let's, this can be way better, you know, and then we get better quality out of it. Um, so it, it can still be that same time frame, but sometimes you're under guidance, which is helpful, you know, um, to kind of stay on board with everything. Yeah. And sometimes it's other things like you got to look at sometimes people's thorax, the fascia, especially with diastasis. Sometimes the fascia around that whole abdominal area and thorax can be too, it's not giving. And sometimes you can make changes that way and people can see change, um, someone's hips, you know, the way their hips are moving, the way they're standing. So posture is important. Um, all sorts of other little bits and pieces. Like for me, I always, you only have so much time, even though that first session is an hour. Um, you know, you, I definitely want to look at the deep core first. And so including pelvic floor transverse abs and get those pieces sorted out a little bit first and have somebody start on something. 
And yes, the exercises, I hate to use the word boring, but <laughs> they are, right? It's like more of a mental workout than a physical workout, I think. Yeah. But I think if it's just somebody sticks with it, they will, they'll get so much more out of it. And it's important for lifelong anyway. And I always like to, the faster I can help somebody integrate it, that's hugely important. So if they do exercise, that's awesome. I always find out what they're doing, how can, you can integrate those muscles in with paddling, gym, any kind of sport, hobby. Um, if they're a busy mom at home and they're not getting back to the gym or anything like that yet, then we integrate them with what they're doing at home. Every time they lift up their baby, squats, things like that, like include it and kind of get it in the brain more. So it's more of a pattern. Yeah. I love that. Trying to make it part of your everyday lifestyle. So it doesn't feel yeah. like exercise, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you're right. You're, you're totally right. Nobody really, people like to exercise. I, I find for two reasons. They like to exercise to lose weight or yeah. look good and yeah. for mental health as well. But yeah. when you're telling somebody to do exercises, at, you know, to rehabilitate themselves, that can be a hard thing to motivate themselves to do. So I like how you said that implement it into your everyday lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kathy, do you offer services online? Like, are you doing the virtual um, consultations and services now? Yeah, I am. Yep. So after COVID, <laughs> you know, but I've been thinking about it for a while and I was seeing other people doing it and I thought, just that's interesting. I wonder how, what would that look like? I can't do the physical exam. That would be, you know, is that going to be enough? But um, I found them to be super successful because it's, it's comfortable for somebody. They don't have to leave their home, especially if they've had a baby recently and or juggling many kids. So that's the convenience is really nice. Um, I always give them a few little tidbits ahead of time, letting them know maybe what they possibly need and for setup and stuff. Uh, but we go over because public floor is so much education and an exercise or movement. There's tons that we can get done just through the screen. Mm-hmm. And then if they need more help, eventually they may come in or, or not, or sometimes we just stay virtually. But yeah, I found that to be really, really useful and great for people in remote areas that just mm-hmm. can't, you know, don't have the, you know, accessibility. Yeah. And it's so true. And then you, you're able to help of such a wide range of people who otherwise won't have, you know, access to that. So that's really nice. Yeah. So if, if the listeners are listening and they want to connect with you further and find out more about your services, where can I send them to you? So they can check out my website. So kathywatsonphysio.ca. Um, and then with that, I have links on a little bit on a YouTube channel. Um, I'm just putting together actually an online course for this purpose mm-hmm. because I see a lot of clients obviously that, you know, okay, they, they're gung ho and off they go and they come back and I didn't really get around to doing my exercises. Why? Because they're boring, right? They're so small and boring. So I'm just in the process of finishing up a program that um, kind of takes people through those weeks. So I do it over eight weeks and all I do is press the button and follow along. And I do them with isolated and with blended so that they're blending it with something to get the pattern happening and the isolated. But right now on my website, there's a little, um, a freebie on there that just, they can always push that button and then they'll get some free stuff to start on. So that's available as well. I'm always trying to put more stuff on there, but you know how it is. It's <laughs> We only have so much time. In each exactly. Day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I will have your links, Kathy, um, to your website 
uh, on the sh in the show notes so the listeners can go there and your YouTube channel and your social media as well. Um, also for the listeners that are listening, if you want to read an amazing article that Kathy wrote mm -hmm. on the Inspire Her Health website, it has a ton of visuals about the pelvic floor and she gives us some simple exercises to do on that as well. Um, so that is on the website. I'll have the link to that article in the show notes as well for you. So I'm going to wrap things up. Kathy, such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I personally was like, got a lot out of this. I know for sure. And I probably will have to go and see you. Um, <laughs> so I have one last question for you that I ask everybody. And if yeah. you can kind of just give one main takeaway, kind of inspire people today um, with, with your words on how to live a healthier, happier life, what would you tell them? Well, I'd probably have to put a pelvic floor slant on it. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think about things like, you know, we don't really want to leave our pelvic floors on the floor per se, right? So we want to keep them nice and strong and flexible and um, just learn. Like knowledge is, how we said earlier, knowledge is such power. It's so, you know, we, we can get so much more control over our own bodies by learning more. So that's, that's my message. <laughs> Love it. Yes. yes. Always learn. We can, yeah. honestly, you can never learn enough. And it's so no. true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, for coming on and spending your time with us today and sharing your knowledge. And I really appreciate having you. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you. This was awesome. <laughs> well, take care until next time. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to Inspire Her Health podcast. If you were inspired about what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, please help us to inspire more women to live their best by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it on your social media. Be sure to tag us at Inspire Her Health so that we may give you a shout out on our social platforms and thank you for your support. If you would like more tips and tricks on how to live a healthier, happier life, be sure to visit us on our online magazine at www.inspireherhealth.com. And while you're there, we would love for you to join our community where you will be automatically entered in for our monthly giveaways, as well as receive weekly wellness challenges and exclusive content to inspire you through mind, body, and life. Thanks again for tuning in. See you in the next episode.